Hey, good morning. <laughs> How are you doing? Are you awake? Are you receiving yet? Oof, uh-oh. Come on, are you receiving yet? I don't believe it. Yeah, come on, we're in a good place today. I'm excited for today's message. I really am. I really feel, I, I just feel like this is the right word for today. I'm so excited for it. But before we get to any of that, I want to talk to you guys about Thanksgiving 2017. Okay, you ready to go there? When I say Thanksgiving 2017, if we're having a personal conversation, I wonder what kind of things come up to your mind. What kind of impressions come to your mind? Or just even Thanksgiving in general, what comes to your mind? For me and Amy, what comes to my mind is circling a toilet, throwing up profusely. Because Thanksgiving 2017, on the day, was the day that Amy and I both got the stomach flu. Okay, I'm telling you, we had the real stomach flu. It was, I had a single banana on Thanksgiving, the holiday for gluttons. I had a single banana, not banana bread with chocolate chips, not banana pudding, not even banana pancakes, which is arguably the worst type of pancake in the world, banana. A single banana. But it is also the day in the season, that Thanksgiving 2017, where as I continued to get better, Amy continued to be sick, and we found out that we were pregnant with our second child. <laughs> and so, if I said Thanksgiving 2017 to you, probably none of that will come to your mind. Because that's very situational to me and my experiences. Right? Sorry, I was expecting a response there. I had it written in, right? right. Oh, okay, good deal. Over the past decade, I need to talk to you about one more thing before we get going today. Over the past decade, probably, I have been developing and having this budding romance with coffee. When you know, you know. Okay? I recently heard this mom and daughter talking, and the daughter said, hey, mom, what, would you die if you didn't drink coffee? And the mom immediately said, no, but you probably would. Okay, it's just kind of one of those things that comes in the tool belt. But, you know, over the years, I've been developing my taste for coffee, trying to understand what type of coffee I like, what's the nuances, what origins, what roasts, all that kind of stuff. I've really kind of delved into this, wanting to get to know this better. And yesterday, I was tasting a cup of coffee, and what you do is you kind of sip it, and you try to bring to forward to your mind what it tastes like. What does it remind you of? And I, I did this yesterday as an experiment just to prepare for this. And I, I tasted this particular cup of coffee, and I was like, hmm, it's bitter, but not just bitter. Bitter, kind of like 85% dark chocolate, okay, like a good bitter. And I taste a little more, and like, hmm, okay, a little bit of acidity. Something comes to mind. What does that remind me of? Like uh, green tomatoes. Like, like right before they're ripe, like acidity, okay? And I was writing these down, just trying to figure out, zone in to what it is. Now, if I gave you that same cup of coffee, though, and you tasted it, and you went through, you would come up with completely different tasting notes. Because what's happening is your brain is trying to take your past experiences and relate them to the new input that's coming in. Your brain is trying to connect the new thing to something you've already experienced before. And you would be completely right. You could say it's like a cinnamon bomb, an apple pie in my mouth, and you wouldn't be wrong. 
Because your experiences and what you've gone through and what you're tasting in that cup is what it is for you. And it's completely different for me, and that's okay. And these have been kind of two positive things, holidays and Thanksgiving or tasting coffee, right? But this is also a negative thing. Have you ever heard of food aversion? Ooh, dead, literally, in case you're online, literally dead silence. Nobody's ever heard of it. Food aversion is the phenomenon where before you get sick with a stomach flu or food poisoning or uh, maybe you had a little bit too much coffee to drink, okay? That was a joke. Oh, guys, we have somebody, okay, before we go a second farther, please look at your neighbor and just vigorously shake them and get them awake because we're not being quiet today. We're being a little rowdy in, Wes, don't shake the baby, come on. We're getting a little rowdy in, in the house today, okay? Come on, help me out, get a little rowdy in the house today. Oh, I will work it, we're gonna get there, okay. So food aversion, so your brain tastes something and immediately the taste or the smell or the experience and your brain relates the taste or the experience or the drink or the smell to being sick. And so years from later, you can be like, oh, I can't eat tomato soup. It makes me want to throw up because the last thing you ate before you got sick was tomato soup. It's food aversion. You had a bad, you had a bad experience and your brain relates something that you did to that bad experience and it ties it to that. Women in pregnancy, often experience this in the morning sickness phase where they ate something vigorously in pregnancy but then cannot eat it again afterwards because their brain says, remember what happened during that season? No more spaghetti and meatballs for you, okay? Now, that's all good, that's fine and everything, but sometimes we can take our past experiences and it shapes how we view our Father God. And that's not okay, because how you experience meatballs and uh, spaghetti or coffee or whatever else, and how you experience it is fine. That's a variable. It's fluid. It doesn't matter. But how you experience God is not, because God is not variable. He's not fluid. He is constant and unchanging in his love for you. But our past experiences can lend a negative view to God. And this is subtle sometimes. Sometimes we don't even realize it. Sometimes it just... This is how we view God. It sneaks in, and we don't realize that that's how we view God. But it matters. It drastically matters. And that brings us to our first point today is that how you view God matters to you. How you view God matters to you. It doesn't affect me, but it will drastically affect you. How you view God matters to you. Author, one author said this, the attributes of God tell us what he is and who he is. But A.W. Tozer added this to that. If we take away any of the attributes of God, we do not weaken God, we weaken our concept of God. God doesn't change. His love for you doesn't change. His forgiveness and grace does not change. His holiness does not change. His inability to be in sin does not change. Yet when we start taking attributes away from God or adding things to our view of God, what happens is that our view of God weakens and deteriorates, not God. Amen? Amen. Unfortunately, many of us have had very poor parental experiences, authoritative experiences, even church experiences, where we received a lot of pain, a lot of frustration over that certain person, and that has bled into our view of God. A lot of us have 
Abba issues. Romans 8.15 says, So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. There's a translation that's floated around that I can't say if it's very accurate or not, but it comes out to be that a lot of people have translated that word Abba as Daddy. I do not care for that translation, but it does get the point across today is that some of us have some daddy issues. I need to tell you one thing about Abba before we move in and how I have an issue with it. Are you ready? All right. When I first started dating my wife, for spring break in college, we went to her parents' house. And this was the first time I'd gone to her parents' house and the first time we had spent uh, uh, time here in Illinois. And so day one, wake up, we came in late the night before and so, you know, showed me where I'm staying and everything. And day one, we came up and got breakfast and stuff. And day one, Amy was still sleeping. Her mom takes me up to the family computer and proceeds to show me a compilation slideshow of Amy from birth to the current college slide, and can I tell you that it was 22 minutes long, and it was to the singular track, Dancing Queen by ABBA. So for 22 minutes, I was listening to Dancing Queen and leading pictures of my wife now as a baby all the way through college. I have had some issues with Dancing Queen with ABBA since then. You got feel me? Oh, no. That really didn't have anything to do with today. I just really wanted to tell you that story. <laughs> oh, man. But here's the thing. You know, in my life, I've been trained, and we recently got a puppy, and we even started obedience class, and they were even reaffirming this in my mind. And I used to work at a ranch where we would break and train horses, and they would be very big on this concept, though, is that positive reinforcement. Not training the negative out of something, but emphasizing the good and bringing it out. You know what happens is that is that we have a built-in desire to please. We have a built-in desire to receive praise, to receive affirmation. And when you highlight the good thing and start calling it out in your children or your animals or the people you're discipling or your employees at work or whatever other, other area you have to train somebody, when you start highlighting those good things, there's this natural desire to respond to that, to receive the affirmation. But so many times the good things aren't highlighted. We focus and, and elevate the negative things. But you know, this is not God's strategy in your life. So many times we come to the Christian faith and we see all the negative things and feel like God's the one that's bringing all the negative up and saying, look how bad of a sinner you are. Look how far you've fallen. But that is not God's strategy. That is Satan's strategy over you. We got to turn to Genesis chapter 3. It started in the very beginning, the first time that we see Satan interact with people. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. You will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it could give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave it to some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. 
at that moment, their eyes were opened. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. From the very beginning, Satan has been maligning and using, twisting the truth to manipulate our impression of God. God doesn't want to protect you. He's keeping you from something. He's not trying to do it for your good. He's trying to make him the master, the power. Go eat it. Take what you can have. He's not trying to help you. He's trying to hurt you. And from the very beginning, Satan starts manipulating our view of Jesus. And it does not help that our hearts already lend to that, that way. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so based with already past negative experiences and a heart that's already geared towards wandering and Satan that's whispering lies, it's very easy to get this uh, misconstrued view of who God is. John 8, 44 says this. Let me turn there. John 8, 44 says, for you, are children of the, uh, for you are the children of your father, the devil. Jesus is speaking of, to very specific. He's not talking to all of us. Uh, skip down a little bit. He says, he, speaking of Satan, was a murderer from the beginning. He always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When Satan gets in our heads and our hearts and our spirits, he starts whispering things about who we are and who God is. But what he's actually doing is telling us the truth of his character, not God's or ours. But our hearts gravitate towards that. Because in our sinful fallen nature, we see the negative and we highlight them. It's so natural for me to see the negative in my life and to focus on the negative. I could have a billion things going right and then they could get my order wrong at McDonald's and the whole day is ruined because they, the teenager, teen bop back there doesn't know what I'm saying and they can't hear me and everything is gone because of one singular bad experience. And then I'm frustrated with myself because I respond that way and then I can't read my Bible because I feel like I'm distant from God and then it just keeps going, 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 going. And all the time Satan's whispering and whispering in my ears, telling me not about my character, not about how God sees me in that moment, but how he sees himself. And whispering those lies in her heart, my fleshly heart grabs onto that and it starts twisting in my mind my view of who God is. Often based on our past experiences that are negative, our view of God can be influenced and misconstrued. And maybe you've never really thought about this, but this last week in small group at our house, we, I felt in my spirit to kind of deviate from our normal kind of message download discussion and ask the question of how do you see God? And we set the question up like this. Close your eyes, be comfortable, take a deep breath. We're going to take a few moments of quiet and just... How do you see God when you think of praying to him? And the answer is really varied, as you can imagine. And some people got this really vivid picture, and they saw God in the shape of a male uh, authoritative father in their life and sitting on uh, the couch and playing together and just joking around and having a good time. Some had an impression, like a gut feeling. Some had just an overall sense of peace. Some had a negative impression of feeling like God was sitting there with arms crossed, expecting, not a smile of love, but a frown, saying, prove yourself to me. Some even felt a little bit of jealousy of that the God that they saw in their mind and in their spirit when they went to pray wasn't like that. 
And so I don't know if you've ever thought about that, is that how do you interpret God? Much like how we come to coffee, how do you, what do you taste, what do you experience? How do you see God in your mind? Is there any place in there that it's not right? Because it matters. How you see God matters because how you see God dictates how you live your life. How you see God interacting with you, how you see God seeing you matters because that will show you how you go about your normal day. Now, I have some, a couple stereotypes here for you. These are a couple of just, if maybe if you had a father that was distant or emotionally cold or you always had to work to earn his affirmation, work to earn his pleasure, work to earn the good response, or maybe you always had to like figure out the right thing to say to get him to talk to you. Maybe you view God as the judge of your life. He's sitting there with his arms crossed just waiting for you to perform well before he gives you an affirmation, before he shows you a little bit of his love. Maybe God to you is Mr. Permissive. Maybe you grew up realizing or, that the rules in your life were no rules at all. They're just guidelines. You could do what you want. You ran the house. You ran your life. And you come to God knowing that, that you've heard the messages on grace, you've heard those messages, and that you know that you can just sin and that God will always take you back. So you know what? I'm just going to live my life how I want to, and then I'll just come to God, and he's just Mr. Permissive. He's just kind of a pushover. Or maybe your view of God as astronaut. Maybe you didn't have a father growing up. Maybe you had authority in your life that failed you and left you. And maybe your view of God is an astronaut God, somebody that's far, distant, untouchable, not even in the present situation, leaving you to figure things out on your own. Or maybe God's your sugar daddy. Maybe he's your genie in your bottle. And just any time you need a favor, Anytime you need something, God, I really need that down payment for that car. Could you help me get a bonus this week? God, I really need da-da-da. God, I woke up late, and can you just help my boss to be late too so I get there on time before him? Anytime you need something, you just go to God and God, hey, can you whip out that blessing, that miracle, and give it to me? And you want the blessing of God without the relationship with God. I don't know what your experience is for you. I don't know how you see God. When I went through this exercise and did that, I, I felt like I had a pretty accurate, pretty good view of God, but not completely. And there are some things I noticed even in doing that little exercise that there are a few areas that I need the Holy Spirit to start adjusting in my heart about who God is. A few Pax experiences that started, that had crept in and started leaning in my heart to show me a God that's not actually God. It's a God of my imagination or God of my impression, but not who actually God is, who Scripture says So I don't know who he is for you, but it's so important. Because remember, who God is for you will dictate how you live your Christian life. It'll dictate how maybe if you've ever had animals or children, there's certain points in life where they get to the point, I've seen this a lot in youth group, where they've gotten to the point where they're not bad kids, they're not doing things purposely, but they've realized that the only way they can get affection is when they act out. And so they act out to get a response. We have to go back to the mentality of that God's for us, not against us. That he loves you unconditionally, meaning that there's no condition, meaning that whatever you do, you can still come to the Father who has open arms for you waiting for you to come in. In the parable, son, the parable of the lost son, it says that 
It's when one comes to the Father, the angels throw a party in heaven. Waiting on the stair step. I just, whenever I read that story, I just view God as this big front porch in Tennessee. It's just this big winding road with all these pastors. He's just sitting there in his armchair, sweet tea, fly swatter, just, and he's just waiting. And he sees that son and he just throws everything off and just runs and meets him because he's just waiting for us to turn around for him. But so often we don't have that view of God. We have a misconstrued view that Satan has put into our hearts and a lying view of God. And we suffer so much pain that we don't need to suffer because we have a false view of who God the Father is for us. So where do we get this accurate view of God? How can we start understanding who God the Father is? How do we wade through real trauma, real pain, real past experience? How do we get through that kind of stuff that's given us this false view? How do we cut the lies out? Well, God gave us his answer. I'm going to talk about the original answer, but first we're going to talk about his son. You know that God sent his son in order that he would become real to us. Something invisible could become tangible, that we could touch him, that we could walk with him, that we could speak to him, that we could eat with him, that we could sit with him. He gave his people God in the flesh, surrendering deity, surrendering uh, omnipotence to be able to come down and be with his people so that God, Jesus, became the son of man. That's his term in the Bible. He became our friend, our brother, somebody that we could relate to intimately. John 14, 6, 9. John 14, 6 says, Jesus told him, and he's talking to one of his disciples, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do not know him. Or from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, then we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? When you see Jesus in the Bible, Jesus is the embodiment, the heart of God. He came to show you the attributes of God. He came to show you literally how his heart beats for you and bleeds for you. Jesus is the embodiment of the truth of God. He came not to represent himself. He came not to push his own agenda. He came to do the will of the Father and to show you who the Father is. And so when you're looking for a clear view of who God is, one of the easiest places to go to is look at the life of Jesus. How many times was he moved, stopped in his tracks and moved with compassion to act? How did he treat his followers when he was worn out and just tired and didn't get a lot of sleep? When he literally had to try to run away because he was so assaulted by the crowds, how did he respond when they caught up to him? How was his heart when he'd been teaching all day? And it was a simple thing like, send the people away. We've been here all day. Go, get, let, go let them get some food to eat. Look at his actions. Look at his heart. And you'll get a sense of who Jesus is. But the first place and the primary place was before Jesus, and that's the scripture. God's word. We don't just say that because it's just some random term we slapped onto the Bible. These are God's words to us. 
written down so that they're um, easily accessible. And it is the primary and first place that you can get to learn and know who the Father is. It's simply through reading your Bible. Eugene Peterson, I just finished this book this last week, and, and he had this point here on his primary call and his vocation. And Eugene Peterson was just an incredible, incredible pastor. He is the singular pastor that I aspire to be. I look at how he pastored and how he taught and how he wrote, and not to be the writer he was, because that's not who I am, but how he pastored. Just incredible, incredible man of God. And he says this in this book. He says, Scripture and prayer, prayer and Scripture. But the and is misleading. Scripture and prayer are not two separate entities. My pastoral work was to fuse them into a single act, Scripture prayer or prayer Scripture. It is this fusion of God speaking to us Scripture and our speaking to him prayer and the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit uses to form the life of Christ in us. The reading style employed more often than not by contemporary Christians is fast, reductive, information gathering, and above all, practical. We read for what we can get out of it, what we can put to use, what we think we can use, and right now, we, 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 all the way home. Eugene Peterson. I get that. I wrote a sermon this week. You don't think I was going to the Bible looking for what, what, what can I use? What do I need? And just even reading that reminded me that we don't approach the Bible as a, as a, as a manual to life. We don't approach the Bible as a to-do guide to get better in our jobs or our families or whatever. We approach the Bible as the words of life, the very essence of life. Proverbs 4.21 says, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Who God is matters to you. How your heart is positioned towards God matters because it dictates how you live your life, how you go about this Christian life. But here's the thing, you won't get an understanding of who God is a true understanding of God's personality, how he sees you through one church service. You won't get it through one day sitting down and reading your Bible one time and having one quiet time. Eugene Peterson hits this. John Mark Comer wrote a book recently. There's been a whole flood on just haste and hurry as a culture in our life right now. But Eugene hits this a little bit later in his book, and he talks about how the process of becoming and getting to know God is slow. It's long. It grows with time. It's very similar to taking a shower versus a bath. You know, I, can, I was known in college because we had one shower and six guys that lived in a single wide trailer. I was known for the guy that could take a shower in two minutes, so I always got to go first. I always had hot water, but it was only for two minutes. So I'd get in at 6.58, I would wake up in the morning, two-minute shower, and then I was out the door. You know, it takes me like 12 minutes to fill up my tub. I don't know if I need to call a plumber. I don't know if that's normal or not. But it takes me longer to fill up my tub than it even does for me to take a whole shower. Our relationship with God is not something fast, not microwavable, not something that you can just jump into. It's slow and takes time. 
and it develops over time. You get a sense of his personality. And you know why? It's because, and we go over this in premarital, the secret to staying in love in marriage is to consistently pursue intimacy with your spouse. You must have intimacy with the Father to receive a correct understanding of the Father. Because God doesn't just lay it all out there. You've got the general, we've got the general message of his love and his understanding. The gospel is a simple gospel. But God is a very complex being. And understanding that love, understanding our identity, understanding who we are in God and how God sees us and the potential he's put on you and what he's calling you to takes a long time. But I don't regret getting married. I don't regret that I didn't know my wife day one, date one. You know, we've been married for almost six and a half. We've been married for six and a half years, almost seven now. And you know that this last week, I found out that Amy hates ketchup. Six and a half years of marriage. And she hates one of the major three players in the condiment field. I, did, I knew that she didn't normally use it. I noticed that she didn't normally gravitate her, but I did not know that she hated it. I was like, hey, do you want to put ketchup on your bun? She's, no, I hate ketchup. What? This should have come out on premarital. We should have talked about this. We are a ketchup family. What do you mean you hate ketchup? Six and a half years. How much about God do you not understand? How much about God do I not understand? Because I've only been in relationship with him for one two, three, a month, a week, years, 10 years, 15. How much more is there to discover? Because with intimacy, my definition for intimacy is this, to understand and to be fully understood by the one who cares for you deeply. To understand and to understand by one who cares for you deeply. It's that sense that comes with time. And you know, the thing here, though, is that it's not form formulaic. In a discipleship, Jesus gave us a clear path, these practices that we can pursue to become like Jesus. But in building a relationship with somebody, there's not this, do this one, two, three, over and over again, and then you'll become, um, you, you'll know God in his entirety. If you read the Bible in a year, every year, for the next five years, then you will be, you will know God and the Holy Spirit, and all the mysteries of the Christian universe. It doesn't really work like that. You know, in Psalms it says the glory of kings is to figure out the mysteries of God. God holds some things close to the chest. He just doesn't release it all. And he's wise in doing that. Because I don't think we could take it all at the first moment. And you see, look at, the, look at the father, look at our uh, stories in the Bible of Moses or Joseph and David and how God revealed himself to them over time. David, you're going to be a king, puts a picture of his uh, potential in his mind. And then you see all these chapters, all this heartache, all this pain, all this excitement, all these wins, all these ex good things that come out over the course of David's whole life. But not in the first moment. Not in the first second. It takes time. Intimacy comes through the process of knowing and being known. But you know, there's been Christians and, uh, that have been around for a long time. And I've heard this, though, lots of times in the church world, is that I read my Bible, I show up to church, I pray, and I don't understand. I don't understand. And maybe you're sitting there thinking today, Josh, 
Did you forget that we're in a Holy Spirit series, not Get to Know Your Daddy series? Okay, yes, I did not forget. And this is where we're going with this today, is that you have insider information on who God is. You have an inside informative to help you understand who God is. There's so many times, and you've heard this from every preacher that's ever been anywhere ever, that you can read the same passage of Scripture and over and over and over again. And then one day you're like, what in the world? Where did that come from? I've never seen that before. Because the Holy Spirit is giving you revelation. He's giving you truth on a certain passage in the right time. He's revealing part of God's personality, part of who God is to you over the course of time. John, I'm going to read a couple of verses. You don't have to turn there with me. They're gonna, we're, gonna go, we're gonna go through a few. And so Romans 8, 16, 17 says, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. John 14, 26. But when the Father sends the advocate, this is Jesus speaking, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. You have the Holy Spirit, and one of the functions of the Holy Spirit, Jesus came to be a representative, a tangible representative of who God is and who, how God represents to his people. The Holy Spirit came to lead you into truth about who Jesus is and who God is. He came to give you revelation, to educate you. You have what you need to understand God. But it doesn't come like that. It comes with time. It comes with consistency. It comes with showing up and being willing to learn. I'm feeling that I need to choose just a few more words to share, because this is a simple message today. And I think God wants to do some stuff in our hearts today. So I want to end with just a few thoughts here. And Braden, if you're around, you can start coming up. The first place it comes is, you may be sitting there thinking today, that all sounds good, but you don't know my story. And I 100%, I've done youth ministry long enough, I've been around enough people, I've done enough counseling where I know that there has been very real, very painful situations in our lives through our fathers, the authority, through church, church leaders, institution of religion, all these things that have given us a negative view of who God is. And I felt strongly to not come up here and give you the answer to how to understand who God is. I felt very strongly is to remind you about who God is, which is love, and that you have inside of you, your spirit was, you were given God's spirit to teach you who God is, to shape and to adjust, to, to cut off all the things and to break off all the things that are holding you back from knowing who he is. I will say, though, it takes a humbling. 
You know, April, the word April comes from the Latin, and it means new or life. And I know we're just outside of April, but spring's a time for newness of life. And I realized over the last winter that in my own heart, there had been a lot of hardening, a lot of walls that had come up, a lot of pain in this last year, nothing significant, it just kind of slowly, just little things over time that built up a callousness in my heart and in my life. The first step is to break through that and say, God, I'm willing to feel some of these things today. I'm willing to be real with you. Start showing me the next thing. I want to read this last verse to you and then we're going to we're going to get to communion today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. No one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. You have received God's own spirit inside of you so that you can understand him. So the things that aren't, that don't make sense, the pain that you've experienced, that you can come to God, come to the, through the Holy Spirit, and he can give you revelation. He can give you healing. He can give you newness. I cannot give you the accurate picture of God that God can give you. We're going to do communion in a little bit. And if you have not, if you don't have a communion cup and you would like to participate today, we practice open communion. If you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to join us in communion today. Just put your hand in the air. One of the ushers will grab you. We've got one in the front over here, ushers, and a couple over here on the right side. If you have not gotten communion, just put your hands up and we'll get those to you. Hey, guys, in the top, we can actually even start dimming the lights a little bit because I want to give a little bit of privacy for this. So I felt very strongly to leave you with just two questions today. Two questions. We're not, we're, there will be somebody up here uh, that will do, uh, if you want to get prayed for, you can come. But I felt strongly that this is something you need to take home and let the Holy Spirit lead you through. The two questions are this. When you get to a place where you can be quiet and on your own, who is God to you? What is your view of God? When you think of God, how do you see him? What do you feel? What comes upon you? Who is God to you? And the next question is this, Holy Spirit, what is next? I truly believe the Holy Spirit can do a much better job of shaping you into your destiny than any podcast, any preacher, or any other worship track or anything else. The Holy Spirit knows the potential inside of you knows the areas that you see God through a wrong lens, and he can shape that in you. So who is God to you? And Holy Spirit, what is next for me? We're going to take communion out now. Last calls, if you did not get a cup, go ahead and put your hand in the air. No embarrassment. We just want to get you so you can participate with us. We participate in communion frequent, frequently and often because we frequently and often need to remi be reminded that no matter where we are in life, God loves us.
I wonder if you fought with the people you came with on the way to church today. Doesn't matter. You're here now. I wonder if you're discouraged how many times you failed. How long it took for you to get into this seat. It doesn't matter. The angels are rejoicing. I wonder if last night you looked at porn while your significant other was sleeping. You can receive healing today from your addiction to sin. Communion brings us back to the place of remembering what God did for us, what he paid for us, and how he views us. So if you would please stand with me, we're going to go through communion.